This week on Accountable, my guest, Mark Goldman. Mark, thanks for being here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show most weeks. Well, for this week's show, I'm going to rebroadcast an episode that I did as a guest on one of my former guest shows, if that makes sense. David Peters, who was one of our recent guests on this program, also hosts his own podcast that's called Accountable. It's a show for CFOs and other similar professionals in the accounting and finance world. And he was very gracious and asked me to come on his show as well as a guest. This is going to be a little different, though. And frankly, it feels weird to release an episode on this podcast because I generally don't spend a whole lot of time talking about what I do for a living on this program. However, David is an excellent excellent podcast host, and he made it so comfortable for me that I wanted to go ahead and rerun the show myself as well. In this episode, David asked me quite a bit about hiring for accounting and about finding the right position for yourself in the profession. So if you're listening to benefit your own career, or if you're in a hiring position for accounting professionals, either way, I think you're going to find something that benefits you in this show. And don't worry, we're going to get back to our normal format with a guest interview next week. Dave just does such a great job on his show, Accountable, that I wanted to take the opportunity to give him even more exposure by releasing this episode. Make sure you look up his show as well. Once again, it's called Accountable. And if you do enjoy and maybe learn something from this episode, please leave us a rating in your podcast app or write us a review. We always appreciate new ratings and reviews. In fact, I have another new one that I'm going to hold off and read next week. I'm saving that one for next week, but I really appreciate those. Thank you so much. And as always, if there's anything that I can do for you in your own career, please look me up online. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up. If there's anything I can do for accounting organizations you're involved in or anything in your own career, please do reach out to me. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's a rebroadcast of the episode with me as the guest with Dave Peters of Accountable doing the interview. This week on Accountable, my guest, Mark Goldman. Mark, thanks for being here. No problem. Thank you for the invite. I'm really excited to do this. Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely. And I was telling you before we started recording, I don't know that we can talk about recruiting enough. I mean, what better topic to talk to CFOs and financial leaders? I mean, who is not looking to bring in more talented folks into their organization? Sure. Thank you. I like you already, David. Thank you. <laughs> I totally there, agree. There you go, folks. So, well, let me ask you this, though, to start, because I, I, this is something that I hear a lot. A lot of people that are out there, I don't know that they have ever really had a chance to work with a recruiter before. And I think that a lot of times what I hear is, is that you'll hear people say, my organization is a little bit unique. I only feel like we can really evaluate who's going to work. And so I think that that is sort of like creates some resistance for them in terms of taking the time to hire a recruiter. What sort of benefit do you see for somebody like that? What would you say to a firm like that? Sure. Well, first of all, I think every firm and every company is a little unique in some way, right? Sure. But I believe it's in the Bible somewhere that there's nothing new under the sun. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like 
that companies either use us for one of two reasons. It's either number one, they can't find the right person on their own, or right. number two, they just don't have the time to do it. So it's just like anything else that you would outsource in your life <laughs> where you yeah. don't have the time or you feel like maybe someone else does it more frequently. And so therefore they're going to be more efficient or possibly even better at it. So really, I feel like those are the two areas where we bring value. I think you said some interesting things there. I mean, uh, first of all, recruiting takes time. And I don't think that that can really be underestimated. I know I worked in startups a good bit of my career, you know, fast growing startups. And when you're looking for people pushing through resumes and trying to get people in and the logistics and just trying to find the right person, if you really do it right, it takes a long time. And I think that that's one of the things I think you pointed out there is that recruiters can kind of shave off some time there. I mean, there's an efficiency side to this. Exactly, exactly. It's sort of like the tax profession. You know, when you're doing someone's tax return, you hand them, well, in the old days, okay, you hand them (laughs) a stack of paper that's their tax return, right? It's not the paper that you're selling. What they don't see is all the expertise that it took to get everything in the right spot on that paper and how all the hours of research and stuff like that. And it's the same thing with the recruiting professional. You Depending on how they work, you know, you may get two, three, five resumes, maybe more. It just depends on how they work. But you don't see the sometimes hundreds that we go through and hundreds of candidates that we definitely consider to get down to that number. So, yeah, yeah, it's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. I also think it's interesting, too, because uh, you talked about uh, kind of that process of sort of whittling down, I mean, the number of candidates Tell me more about that process. I mean, what does that look like? I would assume that it probably has to be collaborative with the firm that you're working with. Talk about how that works and how do you typically work with a client? Sure. I cover this in a few areas of my one of my books, actually, called 49 Tips for Working with a Headhunter. You get better service if you're willing to invest time on the front end with the recruiter. And actually, this holds true for the employer as well as the job seeker or the job candidate, okay? I find in my company, we do a much better job. Yes, if we have a job description, that's great. But if we're able to spend an hour or so talking about all the unique facets of the job, not just what's on the paper, because frankly, a lot of times the paper is outdated even. (laughs) Sometimes companies don't update that right before they're going to do the search. But right. really talking about what the, the employer the employer truly wants, that's a key part of the initial process is identifying, okay, every, you know, anybody can hire an accountant, but what's unique about this accounting role, you know, that you want to make sure you address? So I think what I hear you saying is, is that if I'm on the firm side, I kind of get out of it what I put into it, right? So, I mean, if I reach out to you, if if I'm working with you and we really kind of dig into what I want in this particular candidate, it's going to allow you to find me some stellar folks. Yes. And it goes both ways. You know, if you ever call on a recruiter for their services and all they say is send me a job description and a salary and we'll work on it then that's right. probably not the best person to work with, you know? Yeah. From our side, you know, when we get that, I understand people don't know what they don't know. But for those that are willing to invest, you know, a little time on the front end to really discuss what they're looking for, those are the individuals that we are able to do the best job for. I can vouch for that one. Uh, what Mark's uh, saying here, folks, I've worked with uh, several recruiters in the past. And uh, yeah, if they're just sort of uh, saying, hey, send me a job description and they don't really talk to you. It's just going to be like, throwing spaghetti against the wall. I mean, uh, they're just going to send you stuff that's like, you're like, 
this person's not even close. <laughs> so very important to, I think, kind of put that effort in um, on the front end, I think. Let me ask you this. So the accounting world seems to be changing. I mean, I can definitely vouch for at least over my career, the world's changed a lot. I mean, it's not just kind of people don't necessarily look for sort of uh, accountants as kind of being just bookkeepers anymore. I mean, it seems like the skill set has kind of widened. Would you agree with that? What kind of skills do you see that are kind of in demand right now? Sure. Yeah, there's definitely been a push, not a push, but the the profession has went the route and the expectations of the profession have went the route of really providing value, not just reporting the numbers, but what goes past that. So yeah, we definitely have seen that change over the years. I've been in this field since the mid nineties. <laughs> and so, so I've seen a few changes. So yeah, yeah that, sure. that's definitely something that's changed. And I'm sorry, your second question, I lost it. You, no, 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 not, not that part. Yeah. No, I was just curious if there's any skills in particular that you see coming up time and time again, that maybe aren't sort of necessarily thought of as sort of being like the classic accounting skills, debits on the left, credits on the right. That's a good question. This answer may surprise you. Yes, we definitely do see more data analytics kind of roles than we used to. So that skill set and some of the software systems that go with that, yes, they are in more demand than they used to be. However, accountants in general are in high demand. So really, forensic accounting is hot, data analytics is hot, and you know, getting some skill set in those areas for students is nice, but there's a lot of opportunity still in good old compliance roles, financial accounting, tax, audit, frankly, a lot more opportunity sometimes in a lot of those old roles. We continue to see a very, very high demand in tax. And as you know, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. It's yeah. And I think to your point, I mean, there's a skill set, there's a way of thinking, there's a wiring that is still very valued in the job market. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. No, I was just going to say, I think that that's interesting because one of the things that I sometimes hear from students that are coming straight out of school, Mark, is they say they worry about accounting kind of going out, kind of be us being replaced by robots pretty much. And I'm sure you've heard this, right? So it's like, you know, all accounting roles are going to be replaced and it's going to be kind of robots doing everything and there's going to be, there's no future in accounting. I don't really think that that's true. It sounds to me like you don't really think that that's true either. I wonder sometimes, you know, there's a high demand for talent and labor in the overall marketplace, not just in accounting. And so I I wonder if that is a myth that is spread by other professions, maybe trying to get some of the talent people out of accounting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There you go, folks. It's all conspiracy. It's all just, yeah. yeah. So it's the other professions trying to rein in our superstars. We're just (laughs) kidding. IT and engineers, leave us alone. Yeah, leave us alone. I'm just joking. But in all seriousness, no, I mean, I definitely don't feel like we're ever going to be fully replaced. It may change. It does change the jobs. And it's funny, I like I mentioned, I, I've been doing this over 20 years. And when I first started, I used to talk to a lot of accountants that say, you know, I, I want to be a financial analyst. I don't want to just report the numbers. I want to do analysis. And really, that's what computer systems are turning us all into, because getting the numbers to together isn't so difficult anymore. It's what you do past that. So if your job involves 
printing a piece of paper or taking a piece of paper and entering those numbers into some other system, then yes, that job might go away if that's all it is. But really, I mean, how many accounting jobs are just that anymore? The analysis, the correct reporting, the judgment is still going to be valued regardless of how smart computers get, frankly. I always thought that that was kind of something that I do think that that's a myth. There's plenty of people that are coming into the accounting profession and doing quite well, uh, folks. So if you're listening to this and you're out there and uh, you're uh, trying to make a decision as to whether or not accounting is the thing for you, there's a lot of opportunity available. And I think Mark would probably echo that. I mean, that it's uh, there's a lot there. To go back a little bit seriously. Yeah. So AI is not going to get rid of accountants, just like the original tax systems on computers didn't get rid of accountants and the 10 key didn't get rid of accountants. They're all tools that we're going to use. It changes the job, yes, but it doesn't decrease the demand at all. So I wonder if that, in a way, because I think you said something really interesting, is that we're seeming to evolve less, you know, kind of away from sort of the nuts and bolts kind of data entry type of roles and more into the kind of the analytical pieces, the analytical roles. I wonder if that makes the sort of the fundamental skills kind of all the more important for folks coming out of school. I mean, how do you do analysis if you don't sort of bait the fundamental skills? I think sometimes I hear employers arguing that they don't necessarily get those people coming into their companies having a good foundation. Yeah, I I think the answer is, or there's several components to the answer. I was going to say two part, but there's probably more parts than that. Right. I was never a big proponent of the 150 hour rule for the CPA exam, but we've been living with it for decades now. And this is where we are. I think that potentially some of those hours could be used to focus more on data analytics. You are seeing it with the evolution of the CPA exam and changes that are going to be made there. You're seeing some focus on that and the opportunity to focus in an area. Also, I think the other piece is there's always going to be a component of learning on the job. Right. Companies use different tools. There's always going to be an aspect of on-the-job training. And I think that's another piece of really the accountants early in their careers, you know, getting the skills that they need, picking the right place to go to work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Is there any specific areas that you see kind of on a regular basis when you're looking at candidates that maybe are coming straight out of school where they seem to be kind of falling short? Is it in that analytical kind of sphere or is there some other place where candidates in school could maybe spend a little bit more time before they're kind of looking for jobs? I'm not sure everyone would agree with this, but maybe this is up for discussion. Honestly, I feel like the universities do a pretty darn good job of educating accountants on all the basics that they need to know. There's always areas for improvement, I'm sure. But from a technical standpoint, I think the universities do a pretty darn good job of that. I think that going into the workplace, the students need to realize that career relationship management is important because people get hired because the employer believes they can do the job and they feel like they're going to be okay working with them. They get promoted and advanced based on relationships in addition to that technical ability. So I think the entry-level accountants coming into the jobs need to remember that the interpersonal skills (laughs) are just as important. You know, sometimes they can be so focused on, I want to do a great job that they neglect some of the relationships that they should be building within their employer organizations. And that's really key for an ongoing successful career. I think that's an excellent point. 
And I think sometimes I think we as an industry are a little bit guilty of treating and even I I don't like this term, but the term soft skills is the term that's typically used. I don't like that term because it feels very derisive. It feels very like somehow it's secondary to kind of the technical skills. And I, I don't I don't want to misunderstand people to misunderstand here. It's not that I'm saying, and I don't think uh, this is what you're saying either. It's not that we're saying that the technical skills aren't important, but that's kind of half the battle. If no one wants to work with you, you're in trouble. Yes, yes. As you know, I have my own podcast, Where Accountants yeah. Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. And one of our early guests, a gentleman in Louisiana, he's a partner with Deloitte, Joey Tackett. And he talks about table stakes in that episode. And really, that's what the technical skills are. You're expected to know that stuff when you come to work. How well you do, frankly, is going to depend on a lot of other things. So the technical skills really are just table stakes to get your foot in the door. Yeah. And I think for the thing that I've told people before, especially in the tax preparation industry, there's a lot of people that can can prepare a good return, a correct return. But what really kind of builds business, I think, is the relationships, the relationships with the clients, the relationships with partners, the relationships with the people that you're going to build business with. Yes, yes, exactly. One of my clients now, the way he puts it is you need to be able to riff with the clients a little bit. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Let me ask you uh, something else that I hear a lot, and I don't know kind of how to put this uh, this tactfully. There's probably a better way. But one of the things that I hear from a lot of folks is that a lot of folks that are partners in firms and things like that, that are in leadership positions now, they sort of feel like there's kind of this generational difference right now in the workforce. And the, the term, again, this is another term I don't like. This is two of them on the same podcast, but another term I don't like, millennials. They complain about millennials. They say millennials, they don't have the work ethic. They're not a good match for our firm. They don't care about anybody but themselves and things like that. Is there this big generational difference right now in the workforce, at least as you see it? Or is this something that is just people talking? (laughs) Uh, Are there generational differences? Yeah. I mean, of course, there are some generational differences. I think they're largely exaggerated. When people say there's a segment of the population, a generation, if you will, that that's lazy. Okay, well, frankly, there are lazy people in every single generation, right? There's lazy <laughs> shit acts, there's lazy boomers, you know. So yeah, I mean that really is across the board. I will tell you from being a recruiter and working with people on their careers and where they want to go, there's just as many very driven millennials, if you will, as there are individuals that maybe don't want to work quite as hard. I think stereotyping it is a bad thing. I will say that, and I think this makes a lot of sense, frankly, with younger generations, there is an expectation that they will be promoted and rewarded based on ability and effort and not just years in a seat. I think sometimes some of the older generations feel like, well, you know, I had to work in this seat for X number of years before I got promoted, and therefore that's just the way it's done. And then there's a questioning of that on the other side. But but frankly, I'm on the side of the questioning. You know, yeah. if, if somebody's performing at a manager level and they've been in the field for four years, and usually it's promotion at five, but they're doing the job already, what does it matter? Right. Because certainly there are people that have been doing that same job six seven, eight years that shouldn't be promoted, even though they've got the five, you know? So really that, I see that as a generational difference. There's just a little more questioning, but frankly, I think people that question that are correct. 
I think that's an interesting point that there has been maybe a little bit of a shift in the sense that it's not just about time in the seat anymore. I mean, it's not just uh, how many hours have I punched on the time clock? It's more about its skill set, its leadership skills, its the ability to lead the organization. Yes, yes. I really think that. I think something else that a lot of our listeners, just so you know, Mark, are smaller firms. And I think that one of the things that they really struggle with, especially right now, and I know that we struggled with this when I was at uh, Compare.com and at Elephant, uh, Elephant Auto Insurance, they struggle with trying to compete with bigger firms for talent. When I was working in startups, we couldn't necessarily outspend on benefits in comparison to some of the larger firms that were out there that they could offer better benefits packages than we could because they were around more, they had been successful, and they had the funds to do that. Are there ways that smaller firms can compete with some of the bigger firms that aren't just about just kind of pure dollars? Sure. If I was going to wrap it up in one term, it's investment. Okay. And it's investment from a couple different standpoints. First of all, I believe that just now I'm a business owner myself. I believe in figuring out what you need and then finding a way to afford it versus figuring out just what you can afford. And if it's not enough, oh, well, too bad. Right. So I think in the benefits area, if Someone has a a platinum medical plan, you know, the largest employer in your town, they have a platinum medical plan. Well, yeah, you may not be able to compete with that platinum medical plan, but you can have a medical plan and you should have a medical plan. So little things like that. I mean, I think you provide what you can or what you feel you at least need to to get the talent you need. The second kind of investment really is of time. I think you need to be able to describe your culture and why it appeals to you and why it appeals to the right candidates that you want to work there. And you need to practice doing that. Gone are the days where you interview someone and they expect to sit there and explain why they deserve the job. There's a little bit of that, but they also expect to hear why they should want to work there a little right. bit. And at least in the job market as it stands today, and frankly, demand for accountants is, is probably going to continue to be very strong. As you know, we're recording this at the end of COVID. There was a period of time in 2020 where demand for accountants wasn't strong. I think it was about 15 minutes and then it passed, <laughs> you know, and, and, then, That's and then about we right. back. So, so it's been strong. It's going to continue to be strong for a while. And so you need to be prepared to sell what the positive aspects of your firm are. Yeah, I'm sorry. One more point. I, no, I think in, from the investment standpoint, you need to be willing to play the long game. In mm. my local marketplace, I'll see small and mid-sized firms go out to the universities and they still you know, do the student nights, you know, the career fairs, and they know that EY and KPMG and Pricewaterhouse and Deloitte, they know they're going to get most of the students, but they also know that not all those students are going to stay with those firms after a year and a half or two years. And I've had partners of local firms here tell me, you know, I know we're only going to pick up a couple of students, but we're going to keep in touch with these people. And two years from now, some of them will return to San Antonio and they'll be working for us. And so be willing to play the long game and, and invest, even though you don't need them now, you'll need them later. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I can tell you too, I mean, uh, at least for me personally, I'll say this, 
I never wanted to work for a big firm. It was not something that I personally wanted. And that's not a slam on big firms. I'm just saying that for me personally, it wasn't something I wanted. My father was a small business owner, is a small business owner, and I had always worked for small businesses. So that's kind of where I was comfortable. And I do think that, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, the students know (laughs) that uh, the firms are out there. I mean, that part's not a shock. And so if you can find one solid candidate, two solid candidates, three solid candidates that are going to stick with you, that's worth the time. That's worth the investment, as you put it. I think that's an excellent point. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I also think, too, I don't want to sort of gloss over this because I think you said something really interesting there that maybe kind of the approach when it comes to kind of putting together benefits packages, maybe the logic is backwards a little bit. I mean, I do think a lot of times I think companies say this is my budget and then they try to cram the benefits into whatever the budget that they have. And instead of like really kind of looking at your benefits packages as kind of being a tool for recruiting, keeping talent, and really trying to sort of do right by your employees. Yes. Yes. My company's been around, I think about 15 years now. I have to add them all up. But (laughs) I remember when I was adding my first medical plan, I wasn't adding it because I wanted to add medical. I was adding it because I wanted to hire the right people for me internally. And I knew that I could put that burden on their shoulders. But if I did that, a lot of the right people are likely to just go somewhere else where it's taken care of for them. And so, you know, I chose to take care of it. I keep bringing up medical because I know in the small business space, that's usually the big ticket item. And it's usually the one that takes some headache to get in place and unfortunately is overlooked. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's also tends to be one of the most, if not the most expensive benefit that companies offer. I mean, I mean, I don't think that's yes. a shock to anyone. So yeah, that's a great point. We would be remiss, Mark, if I did not bring up your podcast. So for those of you out there that have not had a chance to listen to Mark's podcast, it's outstanding. So it really is good. Mark, would you mind uh, just taking a minute or two just to tell our listeners just about your podcast and kind of what you do? Sure. And I'm going to take a little liberty with this. So so (laughs) bear with me. Yes. So my podcast is called Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. We've been around over four years, over 200 episodes. And the purpose of the show is really just to highlight all the different things you can do when you start with a background in accounting. We've had very, very traditional career paths. We've even had, believe it or not, a couple of professional comedians that started out as accountants. That's sort of an interesting story. But CFOs, (laughs) yes, tax, (laughs) audit, a lot of business coaches. And then also, since we've sort of been talking on the job seeker side and the employer side in this conversation, if you don't mind, I I also have a couple books out there. Yeah, Um, If you go to Amazon, my author page, Mark Goldman, CPA, my author page will pop up. I've got 49 tips for working with a headhunter, which is really geared towards professionals later in their career that either will be hiring or maybe they're going to be searching for their own next position. And then something that's geared towards people earlier in their career is 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career. And that's actually my more popular book. A lot of the student topics we've talked about in this episode are in in that book. And all of those would be uh, great resources for everyone. And the the Accounting Careers podcast, I mean, I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised that there's as many stories as there are just because I talk to as many people as I do at conferences and things like that. 
I mean, accountants, if you think about it, they're in the guts of the business. I mean, they are involved in everything (laughs) that businesses do. But it is really interesting, I think, sort of hearing the stories. I think sort of the straight line from uh, to school into auditing or tax, and that's the rest of your career is, uh, to me anyway, it was a bit of a fallacy. And it sounds like uh, there's for a lot of other folks out there, at least uh, 200 plus episodes worth of folks out there where that was a fallacy as well. Yes. Yeah. It's really uncommon to just take the straight path like that. You know, sometimes it works out, but as they say, life is all about what you do with plan B. And I have a lot of plan B professionals on the podcast that their career is one another direction. You know, a lot of times still in accounting, just a little different than they thought. And they're so much happier for it, frankly. It's something they didn't think about in the beginning, but it's just worked out well for them. A lot like my own career, frankly. Yeah, that's great. Well, Mark, if folks would like to get a hold of you, how would they be able to do that? Sure. Uh, The easiest way is if you happen to be on LinkedIn, search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up. You're welcome to email me as well. The email address is mgoldman at mgrar.com because the name of my company is MGR Accounting Recruiters. There you go. Well, Mark, thank you so much. I I mean, I feel like we just sort of scratched the surface here um, on this topic, but the bottom line, folks, recruiting is important. So uh, take your time, do it right, get the right people in place so that your company can really go. But anyway, Mark, thank you so much for being on Accountable. Thank you for the conversation. I appreciate it. Well, that was my interview with Dave Peters, where I was the guest on his program, Accountable. And, you know, normally this is where I talk about a few takeaways from the interview, but that would be just sort of awkward because I was the guest. However, there is one main takeaway I have from this whole experience, and it's that David Peters is an excellent podcast host. I have to tell you just the process was so smooth and I've guessed it on a few other shows as well. Everybody does a good job. David does a tremendous job. He really made it so easy for me. He is a very skilled interviewer and I appreciated him bringing that skill to this time that I spent with him. It it just made it very easy for me and hopefully it was beneficial to you as well. If you do have just one more spot in your podcast app for a new show to check out, please check out Accountable with David Peters as the host. I think you'll be happy that you did. Well, that wraps up another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I know I say this all the time, but seriously, if there's anything I can do for you in your own career, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up. Well, until then, we'll see you all next week with another interesting podcast guest that has built their career in accounting. Because after all, this is Where Accountants Go. Where Accountants Go.